And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 210 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time recording 11... Well, wow, the time just changed. 11.10 a.m., on Sunday, September 6, 2020, here to join me this morning, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Lauren LaMagna. What up, everyone? Dan Baer. I'm thinking of podcasting things. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Cody Derricks. Hiya. Okay, so for this week's show, the film festivals are officially kicking off. Global pandemic be damned. The film festivals are moving forward. Venice started already. We have Toronto starting up later this week. New York Film Festival next week. It is time, people. Phase one of the award season is about to begin. Woohoo! Uh, we also are going to talk about some news. We're going to talk about two trailers this week for The Glorias, The Boys in the Band, and we're going to go over the polls, answer some fan questions. We didn't get a chance to do this last week, so I want to go around. And I want to ask everyone what they've been actually watching, whether it be at home, on screener, whatever it might be, maybe in a movie theater. I highly doubt it. But let's go around and ask everybody. Michael, let's start off with you. What have you been watching over the past week? So over the past week, I saw two movies, uh, one from 2020 and one from the 90s. And I really love both of them. The one from 2020, we'll start with the recent one, is Judd Apatow's The King of Staten Island, which I finally caught up with. Oh, wow. A little late on that one, but there you go. Yeah, uh, I thought it was terrific. And Pete Davidson is not always my cup of tea, but I think he is a charming presence here, and it falls very much in line with the rest of the Apatow canon. Uh, I think it was heartfelt. It was sweet. I think Marissa Tomei is outstanding in it, as is Bill Burr. You know, it's really great to see the two of them. Uh, like any Apatow movie, it's a little overlong, but that's okay, because I'm always entertained by what I'm watching. And yeah, I just have yet to be disappointed by one of that one of the films by that guy. So, you know, always a pleasure to see what he has in store. I thought it was his most mature movie yet. Would you agree with that statement? I might rank this as 40 or the funny people a notch above, but it was definitely up there. It's gone far beyond like, you know, knocked up. Like this wasn't to me like a mainstream studio comedy. This really felt like it was almost an independent, like indie drama at times. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I like it was it. like teetering a fine line. Whatever it was, I liked it a lot. <laughs> and then the other one I saw uh, is from 1994, a first-time watch. And honestly, one of the best first-time watches I've had uh, since COVID started. And that is Spike Lee's Crooklyn. Oh, my gosh. That movie is great. Yes, it is great. Oh, my goodness. And it had been on my list for a while. But now that I'm really diving into his filmography, I'm filling a lot of blind spots. And uh, certainly one of my favorite films in 1994 now. It is excellent, excellent. Delroy and... Alfred Woodard. Uh, it, it is really just a special movie. I, I love, you know, I like a good plot. Don't get me wrong. But when you just get to live in the moment and you know see these people's lives and don't really have, you know, a ton of plot to connect 
with it. It just, you know, felt feels very real to me and I appreciated that about it. I recommend you watch Clerks next then, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. But yes, Crooklyn is pretty great. Um, what about you, Dan Bear? What have you been catching up on this week? Well, I don't know that I caught up on stuff so much as I've been like rewatching things this week. Uh what well no, I did watch Mulan. Uh, which we did a podcast review on, and you should listen to that because it was a very good discussion. Uh, short answer, probably not worth $29.99 plus your Disney Plus subscription, but it's definitely the best Disney live-action remake thus far. Uh, I also uh, rewatched now that it's available for general viewing, I'm thinking of Ending Things, which got honestly even better on as a rewatch for me i think that movie is stunning you and i have already talked about this dan because i too rewatched it <laughs> and length, yeah <laughs> I, I i told you i was like oh man i feel like this is one that's going to only grow in my mind like over time because i keep discovering new things and there's still things about it that i still haven't really fully uncovered so i think in some ways it does reward another viewing but at the same time i can totally understand why some people maybe would want to put themselves through another viewing too yeah um it, it's definitely and i definitely because it's it's anchored by these three really long uh dialogue scenes between jesse buckley and jesse Plemons' characters as they drive in the car and i will admit that um, the second and third ones, I kind of zoned out a little because I already knew what they were saying. <laughs> um, but really, like, I got so much more out of it overall on a second watch that I was, I mean, I can't help but recommend it to people. Well, and just for the record, we're going to have a podcast review of this yeah. movie um, this coming weekend. We wanted to give everyone on the team a chance to watch it, uh, think about it. Also, maybe even rewatch it again before we hopped on the podcast to discuss it in more detail. And also, too, quite frankly, next week was looking pretty uh, light in terms of new movies anyway. So why not? <laughs> yeah, it's I telling you it's a good one there are a lot of people a lot of people that are going to hate it but for my money it's one of the best films of the year easily anything else um yeah i also watched a netflix original called all together now which is the latest film from brett haley and who did uh, i'll see you in my dreams and hero and i thought it was really good really well done um ali cravalho who was the voice of Moana is the star of it. And she is, she is a star. There's no question about it. She's just great. And I want to see her in everything. Yeah. She's quite lovely in the movie. <laughs> and uh, as usual, great singing voice. I love that Brett Haley is uh, continuing on after hearts beat loud by exploring another movie that deals with uh, music but the people behind the music in a very small and intimate way. And um, it, it's a very sweet, lovely movie for sure that, you know, is an easy watch. Yeah, it's it's delightful. It's a good movie to like have on in the background. It's a good movie to watch after I'm thinking of ending things, I would say. <laughs> very, very much so. <laughs> what else you got? Um, lastly, I watched um, I watched in my quest to my never ending quest 
to watch everything that I missed at TIFF last year. Uh, I watched a movie that is being released uh, this coming week called I Am Woman, which is about the Helen Reddy song and about her life. And it is a movie that exists. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, it's fine. It It's very, very biopic 101 writing and directing and staging. But I will say uh, the star, uh, Tilda Cobham Hervey, is she is really, really good. Like, just gets better and better as it goes. And if there's a reason, like, if you're a Helen Reddy fan, I don't think you'll be too disappointed because she's very, very good in it. But the movie is not. All righty. Lauren, what about you? I'm going to keep it short. Um, I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things, as I bet everyone did in the world. And it was so interesting i have so many thoughts i'm still thinking about it um thoughts are formed thoughts are still forming i definitely need to see it again and i love how um i would say i read the book so i had an idea of what it was going to be about but i do love how um more how this film is much more poetic and ambiguous and i'm really excited to see what everyone's interpretations is of it because it's not as direct as the book was. So I'm really interested in seeing how people are going to take it. And I would say it's definitely worth a rewatch, even though I have not seen it, but I'm very excited to revisit it. And it's so, I just, I don't know. I love films that are so polarizing and this is definitely one of them. And I can't wait to discuss it next week. Yeah, uh, I, I'm also in the uh, polarizing equals greatness camp uh, as well, Lauren. So right there with you on that one. Josh Parm, what about yourself? I actually caught up with a lot of stuff over the week, but there's three in particular that I would like to highlight. Um, the first one is actually an older movie that I finally got a chance to see that had been eluding me for some time. And it is uh, that I finally got to see Beau Travai. Yes! The, oh, yes! Yeah, had never seen it before, finally got the opportunity to. And um, I liked it. I think an issue I have with it is that I think, like, most of the characters just are kind of flat and boring. And um, that was sort of a hindrance for me a little bit. But most of the performances are really good, especially from Denis Levant. Like, oh, my God, he is so good in that movie. And I, mm. I enjoyed it overall. I thought it was a pretty solid film. I love that people are uh, catching this for the first time ever, uh, mostly because of the fact that Criterion now um, has added it to their collection and it's on the channel for streaming as well. Yeah. And I would I would definitely recommend it to people. It, it's not perfect for me, but there's certainly a lot to admire in it. And I did enjoy it. Um then I also did see I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and I'm glad that we have some time because I do need to sit with this one and probably need to watch it again. Uh, I would say just for general thoughts, I did I did like it. I kind of go back and forth even within the movie of loving it and thinking that this is very dull and tiresome. But I also do agree that movies that are polarizing have the potential to be very interesting and especially on rewatches can give you so much more information and make it a rewarding experience. So I'm very excited to revisit it. I'm excited to talk about it and 
I think that if, especially if you like Kaufman's work, there's a lot here to also really enjoy and discuss. So for that alone, I would recommend it to people. Okay. And then the last one that uh, I saw is, you know, I got up, I braved the world and went to an actual theater to see Tenet. Oh. And um, I think I liked it. I, I guess is my feeling. It's a movie that definitely has a lot of spectacle to it. That's very impressive, as we can expect from somebody like Nolan. But man, like it has a nearly incomprehensible plot, and not in a good way. It's sort of convoluted in a method that I didn't find engaging at all. And there would be many stretches where I just felt like I have no idea what is happening, both because of the poor writing and because of the atrocious sound mixing, which I, even I will admit this time it's really, really bad. <laughs> so overall it's, it, I was entertained by it, especially towards the end. And I think it has just enough elements to kind of push it into like it's fine territory, but it is definitely one of the most flawed movies that Nolan has ever made. And I think that if you are not kind of already in the tank for him, there's really nothing here that would ever convert you. So it's an interesting experiment, but I don't think this experiment kind of worked for me as opposed to some of his previous ones. Yeah, yeah, I I concur. Cody? So I actually uncharacteristically watched a lot of movies from this year, which I've kind of been slacking on because like, Oh, my God. It's the time of year. We're coming yeah, to the end of exactly. 2020, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling, you know, motivated. Maybe it's like the back to school vibes. I don't know. I've been in school for a decade, but I watched uh, Bad Education. I watched Boys State, both of which I liked quite a bit. Nice. I watched this like dumb but kind of spooky, fun uh, found footage movie called Followed. Uh, and then, of course, I saw the two biggest releases of probably the year so far, uh, Mulan and Tenet, both this week. And I was um, on the podcast reviews for those. So you can listen to those and get my full thoughts. But basically, I kind of felt the same about both of them. I gave them the same exact rating. Um, they're both good. They don't quite achieve the greatness that they have the potential to. But I would say they're ultimately worth watching. But they're, you know, absolutely flawed. Yeah. Yeah, I concur once again. I don't know why, but I keep saying concur. Maybe because I was watching Catch Me If You Can the other night. <laughs> um, I also uh, watched Mulan, Tenet, and yeah, I, I kind of echo exactly the thoughts of uh, Cody and Josh. While I've liked both of them, they are incredibly flawed. I watched The Personal History of David Copperfield, another movie that I wish I could have loved more, but I sadly didn't. I did, a, I did a couple of uh, rewatches. I rewatched uh, Captain America The Winter Soldier. I rewatched Black Panther, of course, to appreciate the uh, greatness of Chadwick Boseman. And uh, let me tell you, Black Panther, whew, what a movie. Man, I, I, I have to say that that movie, it, it just like every single time, it's like watching um, uh, like a new version of like The Lion King or as Michael said to me, like Hamlet, you know, all over again. It, it's phenomenal. It's so aggressively watchable. Like, it just does not sag at all. It moves the whole time. It's so enjoyable. It's both an easy and a substantial watch at the same time. It's great. Mm. I'd also yeah. missed uh, this movie uh, last year, but I, I decided to watch Triple Frontier on Netflix. Oh. I guess I just kind of wanted to watch all of J.C. Chandor's uh, films. And I was pleasantly surprised by that movie. I thought it was going to be a big, dumb action film. 
And I kind of did not expect it to be this long, drawn-out heist movie that was really more so built on character and suspense and tension. I just... I was surprised by it. I, I I still didn't like love it, but I but I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Altogether, now, as I mentioned before, I watched this great documentary. Oh my gosh, called "All In: The Fight for Democracy." Oh, want to see it so badly. It's very much like Thirteenth in that it explores uh, the weaponizing of voter suppression by diving into our uh, country's troubled past with voting rights, and it does this through. Animated sequences, um, new uh, news uh, footage. It, it has great interviews and tremendous insight. I mean, like this was a really, really motivating documentary that was smart, informative, and it just felt so urgent too. Especially with the election coming up in less than two months. I mean, it, this just I I cannot recommend enough for you guys to check this one out when it launches on Amazon Prime. I cannot wait to see that one. And I'm so glad to hear it's more than just your standard fare, like CNN doc. Like, it sounds like it's a real, you know, film on top of being so informative and featuring Stacey Abrams. I really cannot wait for it. Yeah. I saw this independent film on a whim uh, that won the audience award at South by Southwest called Shithouse, which I had absolutely no expectations for. But David Early from IndieWire was leading a virtual Q&A on it, and he was pretty positive on it. So I wanted to check out and see what this was about. And I thought it was a really, really sweet, great independent film that reminded me a lot of the Before Trilogy in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, it takes place, you know, in a college dorm and just about a guy and a girl who happen to meet and they have this very magical night together and it's just very human uh very relatable i i could i could imagine some people maybe being annoyed by some of the characters like behavior and decisions in it but they're they're young flawed people who haven't necessarily found themselves and are still trying to like figure out the world so i think that's like kind of a part of that but that was definitely a hidden gem that i really really enjoyed based on the title that is not what i thought that yeah because yeah yeah <laughs> When you said that in like our group chat and that was describing a movie called Shithouse, I really couldn't tell if you were joking or not. <laughs> nope, I was being completely serious. And, you know, uh, the creator of the of the movie too, uh, writer, director and actor Cooper Rafe, um, you know, he had talked about in the Q&A about how uh, people had suggested that he changed the title because it gives off a different meaning to what it is. But, you know, I, I, I hear you on that one. Antebellum. Oh, my God, Antebellum. Oh, this is one of the worst movies of the year. Um, Aaron. We're going to talk about that on the podcast in a few days. I'm going to save more thoughts for then, but it's not good. It's it's not good. I'm almost done. <laughs> Another documentary, uh, Feels Good Man, finally caught up with that. Oh, it's really good. I did not know the origins of the Peppy the Frog meme before watching this movie. I had always I'd always seen it on the Internet here and there, but I never understood the significance behind it. And I had no idea where this story was going. And it went in directions that I couldn't possibly have imagined. It's a very dark rabbit hole. I think it's a very, very uh, interesting thing about it, like how you can be so innocent and put something out there into the world on the Internet. And sometimes it just takes on a life of its own that's outside of your control and 
I mean, the way it just explores toxic online culture, it, it's scary. It's very, very scary stuff. It, it is. But I also think that there is a bit of lightness in it, especially when it just talks about the artist himself, because he's such like this fun, easygoing person. And I think juxtaposing that personality against the toxic nature that festered and turned that character into something really evil is very interesting to watch. And I agree with you, man. I thought it was a really interesting documentary. Definitely. And last one uh, is The Garden Left Behind, uh, which I, I think, Cody, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, not yet, but yeah, I got the screener. We'll be watching soon. I, I'm going to just warn you right now. Make sure you have tissues for this one, because this movie wrecked me. I mean, like, really wrecked me. And I can totally see why people were uh, pretty high on it uh, coming out of uh, South by Southwest last year. So. All right, that's it for movie watching for this week. Wow, a lot of stuff this week, exciting times. And I'm sure myself, Dan Baer, and a few others are going to have a lot more to talk about in the weeks to come because the film festivals are starting up. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more Genuine Testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. So, uh, the Venice Film Festival officially kicked off this week. We got uh, a couple of different reactions already to some movies in particular. Uh, mainly, you guys see the uh, notices that Mainstream uh, received? That's the uh, film from uh, Gia, uh, Gia Coppola. Oh, that's the one with Andrew Garfield that people were calling the most obnoxious performance of all time. <laughs> yep. I fucking love it. <laughs> Which made me want to see it, so good job, <laughs> critics, I guess. I mean... I, I saw one tweet in particular that said something along the lines of that, like, Andrew Garfield, like, shits in his hand at one point. I don't know if that's real. I I, I have no idea. <laughs> but, yeah, it seems like there's always a movie out of Venice that always provokes these extreme reactions out of people. Remember, like, when High Life uh, premiered and everybody was like... You know, that was at Toronto, but people were just like, what the fuck is this? And what's up with the sex box? And, you know, (laughs) so I always feel like uh, the film festivals have a tendency to provoke uh, those kinds of reactions sometimes when something very outlandish happens. And it helps to generate buzz, you know, for good or bad. Uh, But then I saw some really, really good buzz for uh, this movie called Pieces of a Woman. 
Yeah. With Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa Kirby. Yeah. A Toronto International Film Festival selection as well, and I can't wait to see it. Same. Looking forward to that one, definitely. Um, I've also heard really good things about Miss Marks. Have you guys heard about this one? By uh, Susanna uh, Niccarelli. Is that the one about Karl Marx's daughter? Is it Karl Marx's daughter? Uh, Yes. English-born youngest daughter of Karl Marx. Thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, I've heard good things about that one. I know Nicole Ackman's very much looking forward to that as well. Uh, there's also a documentary, Nocturno, which has been making the rounds and a lot of people mm. seem to be pretty high on. The director of Fire at Sea, which I loved Fire at Sea. I thought that was a really, I mean, just visually that movie was so great. So that's why I'm very interested in his follow up. Yeah, but I think like the big thing this year, the big theme, if you will, is that we don't have these large studio titles at any of the festivals this year. And so as a result of that, you know, this is going to really be a time of discovery, a time to see which movies like really uh, stand out, maybe even with a lack of big stars attached to them. So I know myself, Dan, have been like feverishly going through a bunch of the plot synopsis on uh, a lot of these movies, just trying to read uh, the pitch, if you will, and to see what we can discover uh, from that lineup. And I know, Dan, uh, much more on the Toronto side of things, which launches later this week, you have a list already put together as far as like what you're most looking forward to oh yeah i you know it's it's going to be a very weird festival watching movies at at home kind of kind of on my own schedule because we only have 48 hours to watch each title after they premiere um digitally and yeah it's it's going to be interesting, but it meant that I definitely like really had to go through the schedule and be like, okay, what is, you know, the big priority for each day? What else? How many movies can I possibly fit into a day? Cause I don't have to go anywhere or run between theaters to try to get to the next screening in five minutes. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot happening. And even though they are, they don't have a lot of the big studio pictures, uh, there are a lot of these smaller indie pictures or international films that like look really intriguing and i i'm looking forward to what the festival has to offer i mean the big one that is playing at venice toronto and new york is nomadland directed by chloe zhao uh who previously did the writer and will be uh releasing internals uh next year uh, this one is starring Francis McDormand and David Strafen, and it is on paper one of our early Oscar uh, frontrunners for a ton of different categories at the moment. And it's definitely got the highest l- level of expectations behind it, but also I feel that even with those expectations, I think the confidence to take it to all of the film festivals the same way that Marriage Story was brought around last year, I think says that this is going to live up to the hype. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I loved the writer, so that immediately endears me to anything else that Chloe Zhao wants to do. And I am very excited just based on that. And you have this cast, and we've seen like glimpses of it here or there. It looks like it'll be really interesting. Um, I think it's her same cinematographer from the writer as well. And I thought that was a beautifully shot film. So I'm very, very much looking forward to this. Yeah, there's really a lot there. Of course, you have uh, the big Francis McDormand project post Three Billboards, but you know David Strathairn has really been, you know, 
a consistent actor for years and years. And he's nominated. He was nominated for Good Night and Good Luck. But I would really love to see him get that career prize one day because he is just always firing on all cylinders. So let's go there. Supporting actor nomination. Let's do it. Yeah, he is apparently very good in it. So looking forward. I'm just so anxious. I just want people to see it and get a reaction from it. I'm just we've been waiting for all of these guys to premiere and with all the delays and closed festivals just to get reactions is so exciting to me. I mean, it's breaking my heart right now to think that at this moment, um, I would have been in Telluride and I probably would have been able to tell you guys about a bunch of these movies at the moment. But alas, you know, it's just the times that we're living in. But, you know, fear not a few days, literally just a few days from now, uh, we will have an answer. I believe uh, Nomadland is on the 11th. Yes, I, I think it's the 11th. Gotcha. So five days from now, uh, we'll know for sure. Yep. Here's some movies that uh, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen right now at this given moment. But uh, as of right now, Ammonite, The Father, Bruised, uh, all Toronto titles are not screening for critics at the moment uh, through the uh, virtual P&I uh, screening rooms. And so I don't know what's going to happen with those for us yet. But I mean, listen, we're going to see them at some point. I've already seen The Father personally at Sundance early this year. But, you know, um, I, I don't understand the decision necessarily behind allowing some films to screen digitally and some films to not. That's like very confusing to me still. Uh, I don't know if it, the decision lies with the filmmaker, with the studio. And if so, what the reasoning is behind it. I, I just don't I don't understand it. I would assume that it lies with the filmmaker. I mean, giving what film festivals are supposed to be, um, you know, like it's the filmmakers who submit their work to the festivals and it's them who I think should ultimately have the call on, you know, what kind of screening they, they want to have for it. And it, it's something that like, I am <laughs> upset that like, I won't get to see Ammonite or the father's part of Toronto, but at the same time, like, I can't be too mad about it if a filmmaker does want to, you know, say, no, I want my film to just be seen on screen or I just want it to be seen by the people who are actually in town for the festival. You know, I don't want it to be open to everyone just yet. It, it, that's their prerogative and I can't get too upset about it, even though I am. I mean – in terms of like being in person at the festival as well, the festival guidelines have been pretty strict, at least from what I can tell from Venice so far. Uh, there looks to have been photos of people, you know, spaced out at the screenings, wearing masks. There's still a question about whether or not doing these in person at all, period, end of story, is even still uh, the best option right now at the moment. But there is also a part of me that wonders that if they didn't have some sort of an element for in-person screenings, uh, would the festivals even be happening regardless? Um, because I don't think you could do an all-virtual festival expense-wise. I think they do have to have some people come to town uh, financially, I think. Well, I mean, there is a way well, to do it virtually. Yeah. You probably just wouldn't have, you know, those marquee titles. And I think we're already seeing that reflected here to a degree. But, I mean, there is a way to do it and say that you had the festival, even if it's not the festival that you know and love from years prior. But then the town wouldn't make money. Like, that's the big issue. I mean, New York, for example, is doing drive-in screenings in Queens and Brooklyn and virtual screenings. They're not doing any uh, theater screenings at all, supposedly, from what I can tell so far at, the, at this moment. I mean, theaters are still closed here in New York, so they can't do them. <sighs> 
I think it's a financial reasoning uh, to have in-person screenings and have people actually like be in town for the festivals. I think that I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, because otherwise I just don't see why you wouldn't do it all digitally, period. I think money is a big issue. I think those towns do rely on a on a decent amount of money to get out of these festivals. And the fact that they're not getting them is I wouldn't say it's like a huge issue, but it's definitely putting a dent in a big dent that is Corona. So I feel like there has to be at least something going into the town. And if it is all virtual, it's probably not worth it for the town. Well, some other movies that we'll be screening uh, virtually that uh, we will be able to get our eyes on are uh, Concrete Cowboy starring um, Idris Elba. And also uh, Good Joe Bell uh, starring Mark Wahlberg. Um, Viggo Mortensen's directorial debut, Falling, is, uh, well... I, I don't know. Dan, I'll, I'll leave it up to you on that one if you want to watch that or not. <laughs> I'm not watching that. I'm not watching that piece of shit. Not after the Sundance. I cannot imagine a less appealing movie than that in about every aspect from like <laughs> creative cast plots. My God. If you guys have read anything about the movie, anything about it at all, I mean, it's it's pretty irresponsibly bad in my opinion at times, but which kind of makes me want to see it just to like, <laughs> no, Josh, no. have proof of it. I mean, I have an attraction to bad movies sometimes anyway, so I do have a morbid curiosity with this film because you're right. You hear what it's about and who is involved in making it. And it just seems like this cannot be good. Let me see this immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I get that way too, Josh. Uh, I'm thoroughly fascinated by the Mark Wahlberg movie. You just mentioned Good Joe Bill because there are so many different factors that play with that one. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it could be like a real under the radar title. It's uh, produced by Mark Wahlberg and Carrie Fukunaga. Yep. But it's from the director of Monsters and Men and Mark Wahlberg. It's a true story. He plays a father who walks across the country raising awareness for bullying after his uh, gay son commits suicide. But it's written by this is the really interesting part on top of it all. Diana Osana and Larry McMurtry. When was the last time you saw a Larry McMurtry screenplay you know, put to film? I don't think there's been anything since Brokeback. So it's like the combination of talent there is really something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I wonder if this could stealthily be maybe some of Mark Wahlberg's best acting work, just based on uh, some of the people that you mentioned that are involved. It sounds creatively like behind the scenes, it could all be coming together to give him a role that is something that could surprise people. You know, because quite honestly, I never look at Mark Wahlberg as a like I never look at him as an actor per se. You know, he's an Oscar nominee, though. I know, I know. Yeah, it's just an interesting project for him to attach himself to because you don't really think of him, you know, entering uh, that realm with like the more personal <laughs> stories. You think of him doing either like action or you know comedy, and he's very good in the comedies. Other guys is still one of the funniest movies of the past decade, but uh, it's good to see him, you know expand a little bit and do something else. So I'm excited to see what he's doing there. And then on the uh, New York side of things, uh, I mentioned Nomadland before. That is the uh, centerpiece film. Uh, the opening uh, night movie is, of course, Lover's Rock, uh, one of three Steve McQueen uh, films that are playing at the festival part of his Small Axe anthology, which is going to be uh, through Amazon Prime later this year. I still think that they are Emmy TV movie contenders, based on everything that I've read about them. But I i mean, nobody wants to have that conversation until they actually see the thing, I guess. But that's mm. that's my own reading on it at the moment. 
And then the closing night film, French Exit, uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer, which has a lot of people very, very excited to see if this is an Oscar vehicle for her, of course. Obviously, yeah, that's the main reason to want to be excited about that one. I think that there's a lot of really great international titles this year at New York that I'm very much looking forward to. Um, I'm looking forward to checking out uh, The Salt of Tears. I want to check out Undyne, the new film from Christian Petzold. I uh, want to see Malmkrog. Why? Because it's 200 minutes long. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> exactly. I know. I'm crazy. City Hall, baby. The new Frederick <laughs> Weissman. 237 minutes. I heard amazing things about I Carry You With Me at Sundance. I missed that one, and I'm looking forward oh, to that. I'm really yeah, excited to see that I, one. Me yeah. too. Oh, I want to see yeah. it so, so badly. Mm-hmm. And then um, On the Rocks, uh, the new film from Sofia Coppola, will also be making its uh, debut at the New York Film Festival as well a few weeks before it premieres on Apple TV+. Plus. So... Not bad all around, you know, and I think once again, I think there are some hidden gems probably in there that we just don't know about necessarily on the international side of things, which could really, really help to bring that Oscar category more to the forefront because obviously this year we were deprived of Cannes, so we don't know necessarily at this time what the front runners in that category necessarily are. And that's kind of exciting. I always think that that's one of the beautiful things about festivals in general is yeah, it's always great to see the big titles and be kind of the first people to see those movies. But I also love seeing stuff that is kind of hidden and out of the way and maybe I wouldn't have known about unless it was programmed here. And I think that not having some of those bigger titles at these festivals gives more of an opportunity for people to discover those movies. And I am heartened by that trade-off, at least. So let's recap uh, one more time here. Toronto International Film Festival starts on September 10th. The Venice International Film Festival is ongoing as we speak. And this year's New York uh, Film Festival is running from September 17th all the way until October 11th. With that said, this week's poll, we are asking everyone, which film festival movie are you most looking forward to seeing? Michael? Which one is yours? Oh, God, which festival title? You know, you said Nomad Land, and that's one. I was talking about the performances there. You know, really excited to see what we get from that. So, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, Josh? I mean, there are so many that I am looking forward to. But honestly, if I have to pick one, I do think I want to pick something that isn't extremely high on everybody's radar. And that's why I would go with I Carry You With Me. I was looking forward to that ever since I heard about it at Sundance and that's really at the top of my list on a lot of categories. So I would just for my personal interest, there's a lot of other movies I definitely do want to see, but that one's very, very high on my list as well. Cody Derricks. So of course I want to see Nomadland, Ammonite, On the Rocks, all these big ones. So like Josh, I kind of want to highlight a smaller movie and this Bruce LaBruce movie called Saint Narcissa, Saint Nar- <laughs> Narcissa. I don't know. Uh, whatever it's called. It's sounds really kind of, bizarrely fascinating it looks like it's about um a pair of twins who are separated at birth played by one person who form a connection maybe like you know beyond the realm of what twins should be connecting and it's it seems like a really interesting uh exploration of this weird phenomenon among especially white gay men of you know extreme narcissism to the point of like dating somebody who looks like you uh so that sounds weird and spooky and kind of like you know bizarrely interesting sounds like a bruce 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 film (laughs) (laughs) lauren uh there are so many that i can't wait to discover but 
I don't want to be basic, but I have to stay true to myself. So I'm going to be basic and say Ammonite because Ammonite, Francis Lee, Kate Winslet, Saoirse Ronan. It's been a while since Kate Winslet has been in a big one that has really big potential where she seems to be back in her zone. And I love that woman so much. And I will follow her to the ends of the world and I will happily dig up rocks with her. So I can't wait for people to see Ammonite and tell me what's up with it. Dan Bear. So obviously, because it's like one of my most anticipated films of the year, I cannot wait to see the father, but I'm not going to get to see it. Womp womp. Um, so, but I, I'm genuinely curious about one night in Miami, uh, Regina King's directorial debut. You have a great cast of people playing these historical figures and based on a play, th- these are all things that I, I love. So I'm, that's probably my most anticipated that I'm going to get to see. But then there are also like so many of these little tiny films. Um, there is a, uh, Japanese Taiwanese, uh, horror comedy called get the hell out. That that just looks looks like (laughs) so much fun and like right up my alley. And it, you know, it's being likened to the films of Stephen Chow, who, I love his films. So yeah, also looking forward to that one a lot. And for myself, uh, obviously the big ones for obvious reasons, but uh, pieces of a woman really, I mean, on paper, I was already really excited about it just from the cast alone. Uh, I mentioned before Shia LaBeouf, Vanessa Kirby, but it also has Jimmy Fails from The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Ellen Burstyn, Molly Parker, Sarah Snook, Benny Safdie, like, I was on paper pretty excited for this, but then when I saw the reviews drop uh, just the other day at Venice, it immediately just like skyrocketed to the top for me. And now um, just like, yeah, just give it to me (laughs) at this point, please. So head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Tell us which film festival uh, movie for this year you are most looking forward to. And for last week's poll, let's take a look and see what the community voted on uh, for their favorite Chadwick Boseman performance, honoring the uh, late great actor who unfortunately uh, tragically passed away uh, a week ago. Let's take a look and see where the votes came out. Something tells me that we're going to be adding a performance to, uh, if not the top two, maybe even number one spot later this year for Chadwick Boseman, and that's for uh, Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom. So might have to reevaluate this poll at a later date. Uh, number 10 is a short appearance, but Avengers Endgame. <laughs> him, him walking through the portal. That's all you need, right? It's a big moment for sure. Definitely big. Huge audience reaction. I'll never forget that. Number nine, a little bit more of a bigger presence in this one. Avengers Infinity War. (laughs) Awesome stuff. Number eight, Draft Day. Hmm. Never saw that one. I did not either. (laughs) Number seven, 21 Bridges. Saw a lot of people uh, catching up with that one uh, over the last week. Number six, Marshall. That was good. I, I like that. And it was one of those movies, you know, unfortunately, we won't, we won't see it now, but it almost felt like the beginning of a franchise in a way where it's like young Thurgood Marshall. I would have watched a sequel to that to see him on the Supreme Court. Number five, Captain America Civil War, his first film as Black Panther. Number four. Number four is Get On Up. Glad that made it into the top five. It should be much higher than that. Yeah. But, but I mean, considering how that movie, I think, is just not even that 
seen by most people. Yeah, I'm true. just glad that there were enough people that rallied around that performance to get it even that recognition. Number three is 42. I mean, basically his introduction to us. Yep. Mm-hmm. Number two to five bloods. Yeah, yeah, that performance hits so differently now. I haven't yeah. brought myself to rewatch it yet, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to, and I'm like, I'm prepared for all the feels. Yeah, that was my pick. It's a surprisingly tricky role because you basically have to play like this a literal, you know, manifestation of an emotion essentially. And those uh, last three, the fourth, third, and second uh, place spots, they were all within five votes of each other. Mm-hmm. Wow. So could have gone to either one interchangeably, but number one, clear runaway. Black Panther. It's the most popular movie. I would still say that his performance is good, but certainly not the element that you take away from that movie. But he's certainly like still giving a good performance in it. So thank you, everyone who voted on the polls there. Let's now take a look at our first trailer for this week. Uh, this is the teaser of the Glorias about Gloria Steinman. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. I uh, I, I actually saw it along with uh, Casey Lee Clark uh, earlier this year. So I'm going to refrain from giving uh, too many of my thoughts on this one. I want you guys to take a look at the trailer and uh, tell tell me what you guys think. This is directed by Julie Taymor. Uh, stars Julianne Moore and Alicia Vikander, both playing Gloria Steinem at uh, different points in her life. Let's take a look. You're Gloria Steinem. Gloria? Gloria. 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 I am. I want to write about the women's movement. What movement? Very few jobs actually require a penis or vagina. Well... All the magazine people said, don't do a lesbian story in the first issue. So I feel like we need to do a lesbian story. Gloria Steinem should rot in hell. You can't associate yourself with those crazy women. I am one of those crazy women. Can we change the world? Yes, we can. She says woman! How'd you get the name Mankiller? I earned it. You earned it. <laughs> we gotta stop sucking and begin to bite. This is the year of women's liberation. If you avoid conflict, my darling, conflict will seek you out. The truth will set you free. But first, it will piss you off. Okay, Beth Midler. It's like a Julie Taymor movie. Yeah. Beth Midler and Bella Abza, give it to me. I want to see that. I want to see that movie right now. Uh, I have not really been the biggest fan of Julie Taymor. I appreciate her ambition in her movies, but I just never really feel like it translates that well on the screen for me. It's rather overpowering and not in a good way. And I'm certainly getting similar vibes from this movie. And the word I heard initially was not extremely um, encouraging for me to really like it. So I, I'm still somewhat interested just based on the cast and the story, but I will admit that Julie Tamor doesn't immediately sell me on liking a movie initially. I'm not really a fan of her films. Like, you know, across the universe, I'm really not a fan of and never saw The Tempest, but something like Frida, when she's more grounded in the story that she's telling, I, I think that could work. And this, to me, seems definitely more grounded than some of her more recent projects. So that gives me some hope. Hey, Michael, it's not. No, yeah, Julie uh-huh. Taymor, I think her medium is theater. And yeah. I 
like she belongs there, but I'll still see it. It does seem like that, you know, period feminist film that I have seen 50 times, whether it's in the movie theater or whether it's in school or whether it's just on like this random YouTube site. Like I've seen this type of movie before, so I'm not expecting anything different from it. Let me just put it to you this way. This movie takes uh, some big swings and I think that's to be expected from Julie Taymor. This is definitely not, in my opinion, a departure for her in any way, shape, or form. So I know where you were just getting at there, Michael. Uh, this still has the directorial flourishes that are going to be very creative, very visually uh, inventive. And there's a lot in here that's going to definitely wow some people. But I think where people's problems with the movie uh, and why it didn't get a universal acclaim at Sundance uh, really was because it's a clash of that grounded biopic storytelling with the flourishes of Julie Taymor and how the two don't sometimes uh, mesh well together. But I will admit that it was a very unique biopic in that regard. It didn't feel like your standard conventional uh, biopic 101 by any means whatsoever. There's like a very unique narrative framing device. There's black and white sequences. Uh, it, it's very different. And I think the thing that probably now hurts it more are the inevitable comparisons it will suffer to Mrs. America from earlier this year. Which is funny because in terms of style, I'm getting something more, much more like I'm not there that, you know, the Bob Dylan movie from about yeah. 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. that That's kind of what looks, I kind of felt watching exactly. the trailer. Which is definitely, I mean, I hate this word, but interesting, but maybe not, you know. A substantial film by any means but i really am buying alicia vikander and julianne moore being the same person so props to the hair and makeup department on that and they're great in the movie too in my opinion i i loved both of their performances in this especially from vikander because i feel like uh since her uh major breakout in 2015 she hasn't really had anything to kind of wow us yet and i i really thought she was solid in this movie so i was happy to see her you know uh kind of kind of back if you will uh i got a question for you matt uh regarding yeah. this movie um do you see it um contending in like costumes at all uh yeah yeah i think so i mean the only reason why i ask is because it is done by um sandy powell and i think that anything that she works on should be looked at as a contender just based on that recognition alone. And yeah. off the top of my head, every single Julie Tamer movie has been nominated for Best Costume Design. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would definitely say that it's in the it, it's in contention for sure. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All right, let's take a listen now to uh, some news from this week. Uh, so first up, uh, we heard that Adam Driver will be starring in Sony science fiction thriller 65. It's going to be written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, uh, the duo who wrote the screenplay for A Quiet Place. Sam Raimi is attached to produce the film. And while uh, plot details have not yet been revealed and it has not entered in production yet, 
Uh, it is still, you know, the, the next Adam Driver uh, film coming off of uh, Oscar nomination last year for Marriage Story. So get hype. Yeah, I'm excited just for that. Uh, Brady Corbett. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw Vox Lux a few years ago. But uh, he has The Brutalist coming up, uh, which is an immigrant drama uh, described as an epic saga and an unconventional love story. And it has uh, gathered together the talents of Marion Cotillard, Joel Egerton, Vanessa Kirby, Mark Rylance, and Sebastian Stan. Good cast. Um, Brady Corbett as a director, though, is... Um, Hit or miss. Yeah. <laughs> Not 100% sure about that, but we'll see. I like the people involved, at least the uh, the cast that they have assembled. Uh, as reported uh, by Deadline, uh, the story will span 30 years, focusing on Laszlo Toff, played by Egerton, an architect, and his wife, uh, played by Cotillard, who flee post-war Europe. However, their lives are forever changed when they meet a mysterious and wealthy client, who is played by Mark Rylance. Um, both Egerton and Cotillard are playing Holocaust survivors. And uh, Corbett said in a statement amidst a revamped cycle of populism and prejudice in the 21st century, The Brutalist is a film which celebrates the triumphs of the most daring and accomplished visionaries, our ancestors. It is the project which is so far the closest to my heart and family history. I look forward to reuniting with many of our closest collaborators, as well as some exciting new ones to realize what we all anticipate to be a vital and urgent motion picture. Production is set to start in January. That's a statement. I mean... I, I, I hear you all. Vox Lux especially was not for everyone, but this sounds like a project that could be for more people. Again, if it wasn't directed by Brady Corbett, I might <laughs> believe you. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Daisy Ridley, Kristen Scott Thomas, and Nina Haas are going to be teaming up for a movie called Women in the Castle. Uh, this is from Jane Anderson, who wrote the screenplay for The Wife. Uh, she will be directing this movie. Uh, and this one here is an adaptation of a 2017 novel of the same name. It chronicles the lives of three widows in Germany at the end of World War II. I love that the woman behind The Wife, which, you know, now and forever will be linked to The Favorite, is literally doing a movie called The Women in the Castle. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> okay, Michael. <laughs> like the irony there is glorious. Uh, I would yeah. like to see this movie right now very much, please. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, producer on the film uh, said one of Jane's great talents is to reveal the inner emotional lives of women and gifting those revelations to actresses, allowing them to deliver award winning, timelessly memorable performances. And Kristen, Daisy and Nina, uh, we have the cast to do exactly that. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. Robert Pattinson got diagnosed with COVID-19 this week and so did The Rock. What? Wear a mask. I mean, <laughs> Batman and Dwayne Johnson, if they can get it, uh, then none of us are safe as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I guess people shouldn't be going out and about or back to work. Just wear masks, guys. Just please. See, but Batman wears a mask. It's just not. <laughs> but it's not over the his mouth. You took the advice wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. I hope he's well. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but probably the biggest news uh, that just happened uh, yesterday, and it wasn't even like earth shattering necessarily, but it was just a huge talking point because it was our first uh, look at the movie. Netflix released the first images for David Fincher's film Mank, which is supposed to be coming out in uh, the fall of 2020. They still have not announced a release yet, although it's rumored to be dropping in October, which is obviously soon. So I don't know, maybe we're looking at November now, potentially not exactly sure just yet. But what do you guys think of some of the black and white images that they released? 
released so far. You know, it was so weird when it happened. They released the images and they just gave it the Oscar for cinematography then and there. I've never seen <laughs> <laughs> really unprecedented, but it's a weird year. Yeah. Uh, my only worry is that it's going to suffer inevitable Roma comparisons. But other than that, if these are uh, these look like in some cases, not necessarily set photos, they look like stills from the movie itself, like actual frames. And just based on the lighting, the production design, everything that I'm seeing here, I mean, that one shot in particular of Charles Dance on set uh, and with the light coming from behind him in the background, I mean, like just some of these are just really gorgeous. So, yeah, I'm with you there, Michael. Uh, Cinematography nominee for sure, possible winner. And I mean, if there's anything I want this year, if there's anything at the top of my wish list, it really is for David Fincher to get that director Oscar. Yeah, if nothing else, like even if the movie doesn't win Best Picture, just for some vindication from 10 years ago of an image that we all or for a lot of us wanted to see, that is something to look forward to. I mean, how cool is it that Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher both have movies this year under the same studio and they both could potentially be walking away with uh, a Best Picture, Best Director split? You know, you have to imagine that each would be happy for the other if that happened, you know? I never put that together until now, and that is just amazing and it's also the 10-year anniversary of the social network which exactly to it even more wow that that is really really impressive so yeah uh definitely looking forward to mank in all the right ways i mean do you guys see amanda seafried in this in this photo come on Jesus i Christ. need her to get hair and makeup baby so hair and makeup. i i was like trying to do uh in my head like who's going to be the supporting uh actor and supporting actress uh you know contenders for this one uh, because you have Lily Collins, you have Amanda Seyfried. Uh, then on the supporting side uh, for actor, you have Charles Dance. And then you also have uh, Tom Pelfrey, who's coming off uh, a hot, hot, hot season of Ozark, uh, which he should have been Emmy nominated and won for. And you also have Tom Burke from The Souvenir playing Orson Welles. We don't know uh, what opportunities that's going to afford uh, him in the role. But uh, y'all remember Christian McKay from um, uh, Me and Orson Welles. That was a great yeah. performance. The only good thing about that movie. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah, definitely something to be very, very excited about. Hopefully we get a trailer very soon. Speaking of trailer and Netflix, second trailer is The Boys in the Band. Uh, This film is coming out on September 30th, and it is going to be uh, directed by Joe uh, Montello, who um, is adapting this from uh, the play of the same name. It's got a pretty, pretty big cast here. I'm going to kind of let uh, the next Best Theater uh, members take this one away in terms of their reactions to it, since they're very familiar with the uh, source material. Uh, let's take a look at the trailer first. Oh, and you, Donald, you think it's just nifty how I've always flitted from Beverly Hills to Rome to Amsterdam? I'm here to tell you, the only place that I've ever been happy was on the goddamn plane. Run, charge, run, buy, borrow, make, spend, run, squander, run, beg, run, 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 waste, waste, waste. And why? Who's coming? Same old tired fairies you've seen around since day one. This is gonna be fun. This old college friend of mine is in town, but he's straight, so... Do you really think he doesn't know about you? Emery, no. 
I couldn't care less what people do as long as they don't do it in public. No, it's the delivery boy from the bakery. Ask him if he's got any hot cross buns. <laughs> Where the hell could Harold be? You Happy birthday. You're late. Oh, Michael, you kill me. When he's sober, he's dangerous. When he drinks, he's lethal. That's your surprise. Hey, everybody. Game time. We all have to call the one person we truly believe we have loved. My God, Michael, you're a charming host. Who makes the first call? If you make the call, you get one point. I'm not playing. Who'd you call, Hank? Would you call me? If the person answers, you get two more points. I just wanted to tell him that, to tell him that I, I love him. If you tell them that you love them, you get a bonus. Who are you going to call, Alan? You ended the friendship because you couldn't face the truth about yourself. I'm sorry. I love you. Hank, why did you do that? Because I do love him, and I don't care who knows it. I'm warning you. Are you now? I'm the one person you don't warn, Michael. Because you and I are a match. If we could just not hate ourselves so much. Oh, there's nothing quite as good as feeling sorry for yourself, is there? Nothing. Mary, take me home. These queens are crazy. I am very excited for this. So this I'd... is the exact same cast that uh, did it on Broadway a few years ago. And sometimes when uh, stage to screen adaptations do, you know, entire cast transplants, I'm looking at something like producers or rent, it's not successful. But for the most part, these are a lot of actors who've already proven themselves in film and television. So I'm, I'm kind of feeling more confident with that choice with this one. What I'm really impressed by in this trailer is that they brought Joe Mantello as director. He also acts now and then, but they brought him as the director, and he's very well known on Broadway, to do this on film. And when you see that sometimes, it looks like what Susan Stroman did with the producers, where it's just a bunch of, you know, small sets. It feels very stagey. This, you know, yeah, it does feel stagey at parts, but it also looks much more opened up. And it looks like he has a real visual style as a director. And he hasn't made a film since Love, Valor, Compassion back in the 90s. So I'm just excited to see him working as a director in film again. Yeah, same. I'm glad they translated, you know, most of the creative team as well, because, you know, they brought Joe as well with the cast. And, you know, it does seem like he is taking creative license where it comes to translating it. Um, Ryan Murphy is also... A producer but he's not again directing it so i have a lot of faith in him as a producer not as the director of this piece and all of these guys really love this piece and really respect these piece i love that it's all of these men are openly gay and it's about openly gay men or like closeted men and in a pre um stonewall new york and it's a really beautiful piece and i didn't get to see it in new york when it was on broadway because it was such a short run and i'm so excited that all of these guys are back in their roles and expand it because again most of them do have film and stage experience so they know both of the mediums and they're able i think to translate these roles well yeah it was I've... a really hot ticket back in 2018 it then won the tony for a revival and it was the first time that boys in the band had been on broadway so it was celebrating its legacy 50 years later it also happened to be the 50 year anniversary of stonewall when it won the tony so there was a lot you know of history happening then you know and 50 years back so it's you know good to see that 
we're updating the film version from 1970 or 71. It was directed by William Friedkin. Okay, 1970. So 50 years later, uh, we have this updated version. And that's going to be really exciting. I'm glad everyone gets a chance to do it on film. I was really pleasantly surprised by Jim Parsons in the trailer. Uh, It's really... I no, felt so much. Uh, that was actually the part that I was okay. yeah. a little a worried minute. about, actually. But knowing so, that part, that's though, the role. exactly. And I also... think it's perfect for that role and performer. Okay, to be so you know, like, I'm you. glad that y'all can like kind of help me with that a bit because just from watching the trailer, I was not vibing with the type of performance that he was giving, and in fact, I shouldn't vibe with that character. Uh, okay, good, yeah. because I really wasn't. And then it wasn't until the actual uh, premise with the phone call uh, where I started to really get a sense of, okay, I can see now why uh, this play is something that, you know, really struck a chord with people. And um, I can tell that that's going to be like a good hook uh, for the audience as well and hopefully produce some great writing and uh, acting moments as well. But Outside of that, I was kind of struggling, um, you know, because obviously when you're doing a stage to uh, film adaptation, you know, you, you know, you are paying attention to things like the blocking, how expansive do they, uh, you know, kind of break the story out of the, co- the confines of small sets, like you were saying before, Michael. Uh, but I actually was really enjoying the interplay uh, between all these characters in the confined space and what I was seeing in that portion of the trailer more so than anything. Yeah, the thing with Jim Parsons is it's easy to dismiss him because he's been in Big Bang Theory land for, you know, a decade-ish, um, or he was, past tense. But he's had a pretty successful career on stage during that time, and I've seen him a few times. He's genuinely a really impressive actor, um, so it's easy to dismiss him, but I'm interested to see what he does with some, like, weightier work in a bigger role like this. Totally. I was just watching this trailer. I was like, oh, you're doing your really, really terrible character from Hollywood again and whatever. Um, it, I, I'm of such two minds about this because, like, I really I really like the voice in the band. It's a very important, like, document of a certain time and place. I am not at all i don't want to go back to the discourse about this piece again which is <laughs> sure to come up yet again because it's on netflix so everyone's gonna watch it and has all these big famous people in it so everyone is gonna watch it even more um and like i just i'm i'm not here for it like, people try to talk as though like this play is not necessary that we've moved on and it only shows gay men in a you know they're in a very in a negative light but in a very specific negative light in that like we're just all mean catty bitches and like well yeah a lot of us still are and a lot of us still have not moved past that stage even though the world has changed so you know i i'm just not here for it and i don't look forward to it but the movie looks like it's okay i you know i will be honest you know obviously i'm not a member of mbt i'm not that well versed in theater productions but i have seen the friedkin movie and i think this material is definitely of its time. It's certainly fascinating to watch, but you need a lot of context, I think, to really appreciate it. So I'm curious to see how they bring that into a modern age and if there is going to be any kind of changes or kind of discussions 
broader within that context. Um, but I'm still very much looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to this ever since they announced it. And I think Murphy not directing it is a big plus for it, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big, huge. And the, the cast looks looks really good. Actually, the performance that it's very obviously we only get brief glimpses of it. But I think Zachary Quinto looks like he's really going to be good in it. So I'm very, very uh, highly anticipating this one. I got those vibes, too, Josh. I thought Zachary Quinto was the one who stood out the most to me in the trailer as well. Yeah, that's a very showy part. The one that was yeah. Oscar nominated was uh, Robin de Jesus, and it's so wonderful to see him doing film again. He was in this wonderful movie, Camp. I know many of us have probably seen Camp with him and Anna Kendrick back in 2003, but uh, he's been killing it on Broadway, so it's nice to see him get you know a plum part like this on film. Okay. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. All right, let's close out this week now with some questions from the fans. Let's see what everybody had to send in this week to ask. Juan Carlos Ollano asks, is there any international feature film that has a narrative for a Best Picture nomination, especially after Parasite's recent win? Uh, at this point, no, I don't no. think so. No. It's a weird year. Because oh. Parasite having that launch at Cannes helped it so much. And without that, it's just really hard to establish that kind of narrative right now. And I'm not saying something like that couldn't happen at some point in the future. But at this moment, no, there's nothing that has that. Let me guys ask you this question really quick. Who is a foreign language film director that has built up a lot of clout over the years who maybe has made a Hollywood uh, studio system here or there. I'm thinking along the lines of an Alfonso Cuaron or, um, you know, uh, Bong Joon-ho. Is there anyone out there right now off the top of your head that could produce that narrative in the future? No. Well, Chloe Zhao is kind of doing it backwards in a way, which is interesting. But is there anyone that's like known for making foreign language films that you guys can think of? that has like that kind of recognition. Mm-hmm. See, the thing about that question is you, you sort of have to think about somebody who has a really big international profile, but is also dipped their toes in the studio system, but is also like made a movie that's kind of mainstream in that system too. And that's a very tricky combination to find. And I, I struggle to think of somebody who has that immediately. Cause to put it bluntly, I don't think that we're going to see a straight up international feature film that doesn't have that combination that I just mentioned win best picture in the future. Mm-hmm. If I had yeah, to like, no. if I had to throw a name out there, I would say Celine Shiama, but I don't see her doing English or a studio film. I see her. She's very where she wants to be. Yeah. But that's the only name I could come up with right now. Uh, Scott Kernan asks, with award season approaching, what film that is currently looked at as an award season contender do you think stands a chance at underwhelming and losing its Best Picture nomination prospects? Uh, I have been a bit skeptical from the very beginning of Hillbilly Elegy. I really don't have that predicted in a lot of places. It could be proven wrong, could be great, but 
there is an instinct that I have that that is one of those contenders that we look at as like thinking it's going to be really big and then it only gets like maybe one or two acting nominations and then that's it. Josh, I've already taken it out. Yeah. I mean, I've never really it seems like an acting play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as one that I am still currently predicting that, you know, I could see the potential for it falling out. <laughs> well, Tenet already fell out of all of our best picture uh, conversation <laughs> over the last yeah, week. That was the one <laughs> that I was going to say. Like a lot of people were a lot. I was. I personally was not, but I know a lot of people were. And especially with the reactions this past week, I'm like, no, if you have that in, you're being willfully ignorant right now. I agree. Um, If it comes out, uh, West Side Story has the potential to either be like one of the biggest players of the year or just an absolute bust. I mean, you really shouldn't count out Spielberg now because like at this point, the majority of his films get into this picture, like deserved or not. But, you know, I mean, talk about a legacy to follow up. Yeah, I only see that potentially get into the acting world. I think that's actually a good option there, Cody, because on one hand, it does have the Spielberg factor. It could be a big player. You're 100% correct. But then on the other hand, the expectations might be too high. Uh, Inevitable comparisons could also hurt it. Uh, There's also the Ansel Elgort issue. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of factors involved Mm -hmm. there. I mean, if Dan Warhorse could get in, anything is possible. But I agree. (laughs) I agree. God, Warhorse. I've never rewatched that. Why would you? Uh, that yeah. was always going to get in. Though. I know, I know. I'm just saying. I'm like the Spielberg defender in these corners, and Warhorse is like, okay, I saw it. We can move on. Uh, Ronnie Castle asks, they really are going to put Delroy Lindo into supporting for Defy Bloods, aren't they? Actually, no, Ronnie. I don't think so, now. I don't think so. I think that conversation is over, in my opinion. And and it's due to unfortunate circumstances, but I think they are going to clear it away for Chadwick Boseman and supporting at this point. I really do. I think he's going to get the Heath Ledger treatment. I think that conversation ended even before Chadwick. I think people just sort of saw the movie and decided, oh, yeah, it does center around his character. Why wouldn't we put him in lead? There were still a couple of people that were still questioning it, though. Yeah, but honestly, we probably would have come to this um conclusion after we saw Ma Rainey without the context of his death. I agree with that, too. Um, I actually already had him in contention beforehand. It's a Tony winning part, and he is in that place in his career where an Oscar nomination is inevitable. Archie Marshall, any thoughts on I'm thinking of ending things Oscar chances? Is it too inaccessible to appeal to Academy members? Well, Archie, listen to our review this upcoming Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it then. (laughs) Yep. Oh, let's get personal here. Paul Rye asks, what is your favorite movie character that you see aspects of yourselves in? Oh, that's good. I have one. I have one. And I'm going to definitely show myself with this one. But mine has always been. And it's probably part of the reason why I love this movie so much. uh, It's Miles from Sideways, played by Paul Giamatti. That is a character that I relate to so much it is scary i can see it matt yeah exactly <laughs> in so many ways <laughs> oh i have no to idea stick with the one that like is most definitely me was from a tv show so i'll say it i will say the most definite like me character is theo crane from the haunting of hill house on netflix Ooh. because she is just annoyed with life she like doesn't like to get she has a little bit of an issue with getting close to people but she will die for her family and is just when she gets angry she's very blunt about it and she's just 
does her own thing, but she's very protective and also has her issues and likes to fix other people's issues because she's a fixer. So I would say Theo. She's also got a great style that I would love to emulate. You know, the one that came immediately to mind is it's in a movie. It's a very, very small movie that nobody has ever seen, probably. But um, it's this movie called Duck Butter. Has anybody here seen it? No. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's like this very like indie romantic comedy um, that it stars. Um, oh, Alia uh, Shawkat in it. And she plays a character who's basically like really into movies and is gay and has this very passionate relationship, but is very insecure about <laughs> how, how confident she can be in securing positions in a relationship and in film. And yeah, it, it was a character that spoke very, very dearly to me. So <laughs> I think that is the one that is in a very small movie, but I remember watching it and feeling like, oh, this character, I see a lot of myself in this one and in both good ways and bad <laughs> it was quite revealing to watch i say for my movie one it's the protagonist in after hours because everything goes <laughs> wrong and he just wants to go home and he just can't <laughs> and i remember watching it be like this would happen to me like <laughs> like he can't get on the subway everything's going wrong he just wants to go home that's it like that's all he wants i love it i, I have a hard time saying like a full character like i find aspects yeah. of myself in in certain characters but the one that like i think this is part of why i watched this movie a lot like as a comfort food movie um i see a lot of myself in amelie oh i love amelie and that like have has no problem helping others but helping herself not so much i'm still waiting on cody and michael I'm I know thinking. I'm thinking it's uh. tough. It really is tough. Like you see aspects of yourself, like Dan said, but I can't like fully commit myself to one because there are drawbacks to certain characters. I'm thinking of. I, I was gonna say Michael has too many characters that are. Like <laughs> Michael, you're also not perfect. So stop trying to come up with the perfect answer. <laughs> tradition, tradition. Can someone here just please say Jesse Plemons from um, Thinking of Anything, and we can just move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, here's my answer, and I, I do have reservations here, but it's for the sake of time. I, I would consider myself the much less pessimistic, and you know, you know, definitely more open and you know, delightful, if I may say so myself, version of Harry Burns from When Harry Met Sally. I don't see it, but sure, you go, you, Cody. Okay, I don't know, dude. I just took a questionable, uh, poorly worded quiz online while we were having this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it told me the Johnny Depp Mad Hatter, so I'm going to just uh, put my damn hat on and jump out the freaking window. I'm now imagining Cody with a top hat and like a little teacup. <laughs> I low-key love it. Do the dance, dance, Cody. Do the dance. Hey, oh, my yes. God. I'm, I'm not going to futterwhack in, and I can't believe oh. I remembered that. Um, oh, yeah, that was like a test that you failed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hassan Kamra asks, which film will be the ultimate tech player at this year's Oscars? Tenet, Dune, or No Time to Die? Dune. 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 Dune with No Time to Die as a close second. Maybe. I mean, I also would say that I don't think any of them are getting Best Picture nominations either. Oh, I think No Time to Die and Dune are stronger than you all think. Mm, 
Uh, I don't know. To relate it back to an earlier question, I I think a lot of people are overestimating Dune in the above the line categories. Yeah. That is a really, really, really difficult property. And if Blade Runner 2049 couldn't do it, I don't see this one doing it. I think Arrival has skewed the results in terms of appreciation with in, in terms of the Oscars in Villeneuve's movies. I think that he normally makes stuff that looks very impressive, but I think that they will struggle above the line. And just knowing the source material vaguely of Dune, I cannot imagine how that could really get too many notices outside of the craft categories. Yeah, Arrival took place on this planet. Uh, Dune very much does not. It's going to be a bit of a bridge for the Academy to cross. I know you guys are comparing it to Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, but I actually equate it more to to um, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring yeah. prior to its release, where everybody was also saying the same thing. This is impossible material to adapt. That The Academy never goes for fantasy. There's no way this is going to be successful. Blah, blah, blah. But Lord of the Rings was also like this big money maker and it had like action in it so it had a lot of crossover appeal there is not really that with dune dune is no, very heavy science fiction and that and the people who get it love it they will go hard for this story but but i think that there's one thing that could push it over josh i don't disagree with you by the way it's more so is there anything that they're going to uncover in their adaptation to make it their own that is going to give it that edge to overcome that criticism? That's the big question. I don't think you're going to get that with Villeneuve. I mean, I I am in I mean, a very particular uh, perspective here where I think a lot of his movies look great and then the scripts are kind of where it falls down. And you need a really, really good team to kind of make that material <laughs> translatable to people. And yeah. I'm just very skeptical about that. I I'm wor- I worry that they are going to adapt it to make it more uh, legible for film. And that is going to turn off fans of the source material. So it's going to end up being, well, who does it really have in its case? Oh, that's a good prediction, too. Yeah. And I still stand by uh, my prediction that we made a couple episodes ago on outlandish early Oscar predictions. I still maintain I think No Time to Die is going to get a Best Picture nomination. So, Look, Matt, obviously, I would love it. Like, I, clearly, I am rooting for that to happen. But just going on past trends with the Academy and Bond movies, you know, there was like a 30 year stretch where they didn't give any of those movies nominations. And. I, you know, I just have to wait and see for that. I cannot jump on board with that as much as I want to. I really just can't at this moment. Oh, it's definitely for me. It's definitely one of those. I'm ready to hop off that bandwagon and admit that I'm wrong the moment that the reviews drop on it. But uh, for now, I keep thinking to myself, Skyfall was clearly, I think, number 10 or close absolutely to 10. a nomination that year. Uh, this is also the last for Daniel Craig, supposedly, but there could be an emotional weight and uh, emotional connection that's carried over into the uh, viewing of the movie that could resonate with people uh, because of that. And Gary Fukunaga, man, I mean, just like, come on, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, to, to, to all of this, I have a one word counter. April. Sure. But not anymore. Not anymore, but still, like, if they really had thoughts that this could be an Oscar player, they would have held it until Thanksgiving or Christmas. All right. 
Fair enough. A uh, quick round of this or that only with characters from Sam James Peck. Very quickly. Here we go. Captain America or Iron Man? Iron Man. Captain, Captain America. America. Captain America. Han Solo or Indiana Jones? Han Solo. Han Solo. Indy. Indy. Ellen Ripley or Imperia Furiosa? Furiosa. Ripley. Furiosa. Ripley. That's very close, Furiosa. but I'm going to say Ripley. Jackson Maine or Otis Bad Blake? <laughs> Jackson Maine. <laughs> I mean, Jackson well, I mean, Maine, I guess. Hey, Jackson. I guess. Well, Bad Blake, you know, things end up better for him. I love it. Woody or Buzz? Woody. 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 Yeah, Woody. I love a passive aggressive toy. Annie Wilkes or Jack Torrance? Annie Wilkes. Oh, Annie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even with uh, Dr. Sleep, uh, like Annie Wilkes all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eliza Doolittle or Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Julie always wins, though, so it's okay. True. <laughs> Frodo or Samwise Gamgee? Sam- Samwise. Samwise. Uh, Sam. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Come on. Are you serious? <laughs> uh, don't make me cry, Matt Neglia. Hagrid or Dumbledore? Hagrid. 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 But if it was Richard Harris, Dumbledore, I would pick I would pick Richard Harris. Yeah. Oh, true. I cannot stand Hagrid. I'm sorry. And I'm <laughs> Dumbledore all the way. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dumbledore. No. Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't know if anybody got that reference. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, no, I got it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we got it. We were live on the internet back then. (laughs) Uh, Even May, these movies got Oscar nominations, yeah, but no wins. Give these movies a win anywhere, but you're replacing the winner of that category. First up, The Thin Red Line. Oh, that's tough. Hmm. Yeah. So we have to give it a win. Uh, yes. In something it was nominated for, in, right? In yep, something in something it was, it was nominated for. I'm just refreshing myself that it was nominated for. It was nominated for sound, score, film editing, cinematography, adapted screenplay, director, and picture. Uh, I actually prefer... Cinematography. Oh, really? Because I love Janusz Kaminski's work in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, that's his best work. Yeah. It's tough. I can't give it film editing. I can't give it sound. You know what? I would give it score. Yeah, we can yeah, do that. Over Life is Beautiful. That's fine. Yeah, uh, I, I, I could. Still... <sighs> yeah. All right. Next one here is Carol. So for that one, we have actress, supporting actress, cinematography, adapted screenplay, score and costume design score. Literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gave it to Rooney. Except that, but yeah. I give I it would to go with costumes. Costumes, Michael, what's yours? I, I said Kate, but I also go with Rooney, too, and supporting. It's magnificent. It's not my pick if in I, the category, but the adapted screenplay win would be pretty good. Over yeah. The yeah, yeah, like if I had that's to also pick my one, win. that would be it. I, I give it eight wins in my own lineup, so I think anything <laughs> yeah. I'm Oscar-nominated for <laughs> is pretty much a win in my book. Let her win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had to pick one, it would be a dive the screenplay. I would love to give it score, but I can't take away any of Morricone's Oscar. I can play. only because he got the honorary already, but I... I yeah, uh, no, he needs to win one. He needs to win. One. All right. Yeah, and he became the oldest competitive winner. So, like, he, yeah. he, got, he broke a record with yeah. it. Yeah. Or, you know what? Fuck it. Cinematography, too. Lebeski already had two. I'm yeah. I wouldn't have minded it. 
I wouldn't have minded either. I mean, I love Edward Lockman. So um, my neighbor at New York Film Fest. I was going to say, yeah, your best friend. <laughs> I sit next to him at every single screening. That's so cute. All right. True Grit. Ten nominations, no wins. Uh, this is so easy. It's Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I have to remind myself of the category, but yeah, Haley Steinfeld. <laughs> I would say either Haley Steinfeld or cinematography. Ah. No, I can't yeah. do that over yeah, Inception, I, though. I, I, yeah, like, no. I would consider cinematography, actually. I would. The cinematography. It's going to get two. It's okay. Yeah, I most certainly give it cinematography. I think that's some of Deacon's finest work. That cinematography lineup is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Black it really Swan, is. Inception, Social Network, True Grit, um, something called The King's Speech. I even I even back then liked uh, the visual aesthetic of Tom Hooper for that movie at the time. Yeah, it's good. It's fine. You know what? I'll I'll give it I will give it um, costume design over one of the worst winners in this category oh. of all time, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. I actually like the uh, costumes in Alice in Wonderland. It's I, the production uh, design I hate. Uh, I, I'm with Josh on this. I don't mind the costume win, but the production design win I think is absolutely that's horrid. Just that is atrocious. It's embarrassing how bad it is. The fact that that movie has any Oscars at all makes me so sick. It's the whole thing looks like a pile of mud. I mean, no, thank you. Last one. Uh, In the Name of the Father from 1993. Nominations for film editing, supporting actress, supporting actor, best actor, best adapted screenplay, director, and picture. Uh, the problem is that this is the Schindler's List year. Yep. Yeah. Those are the, a lot of the categories that lost and, it. And when it's not Schindler's List, it's the piano. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> then you have... Uh, Remains of the Day in there, too, and The Age of Innocence and all these other things. It's a really remarkable year. Okay, year. so the easiest one... Actually, I'm going to rephrase this. Nothing here is easy. No, it's not. It's actually a hard one. I am going to go with uh, Pete Possway for Supporting Actor over Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. I okay. Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. He's so fun. On a similar he note, fun, but I can I'll it. say... Emma Thompson for supporting actress, just because my I'm not own taking it away from year. Anna. Not taking it away from Anna, and I I'm also not taking I, it away from Anna. I would give it to be Postlethwaite, except Ray Fiennes and Schindler's List. You know, if Ray Fiennes had won, I wouldn't give it to him, but I, I can give it to him over Tommy Lee Jones because, quite honestly, still to this day, I don't understand that performance winning. Oh, I just I like don't. It's, it's so much. Fun. I, I get it. That's fine. But you know what? Like, I think I actually would say Postlewaite only because then it would fuel the narrative for Tommy Lee Jones to win for Lincoln later on. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll yeah. get behind that one. Yeah. yeah. I'll get behind that. I, I was going to save this, but this is too good. I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, Mike Pisacchino asks us, there were only three nominees for Best Visual Effects up until 2010. Add two additional movies to the best visual effects lineup for each year of the 2000s. Each oh my year? God. Oh my Hang on. <laughs> God. Now, are we being like thinking what would have been the other two or just saying what we would want to have been the other two? I think two? for the sake of like ease, why don't we just do what we would like, let's say. Do we have to pick from the films that made the Bake Off? Oh, do you guys? Oh, yeah. You know what? That's a good idea. We should probably go off Will's list for that. Helpful. Do we have that? Like yeah, I, I, have, I have that here. So for 2000, uh, these were the films that were a part of the Bake Off that didn't make the lineup. Castaway, Dinosaur, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and the X-Men. The nominees were Gladiator, Hollow Man, and The Perfect Storm. Not Dinosaur. Not Dinosaur either, yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say X-Men is one. Put X-Men in. And I would would throw Castaway in there. Yeah. Zemeckis movies always look pretty good, even if they're not good. 
Yeah. Uh, for 2001, uh, Artificial Intelligence, The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship at a Ring, and Pearl Harbor uh, made the lineup. The Bake Off also consisted of Black Hawk Down, Cats and Dogs, The Fast and the Furious, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and Jurassic Park 3. Black Hawk Down and Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Harry Potter. yeah. Easy. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I don't think the Harry Potter visual effects are very good in that movie. I would be okay with Jurassic Park 3 over it. I just feel like Jurassic Park 3 was just more of the same at that point, though. Yeah. That's why sure, I'm but I'll take more that. of the same over, like, blah. There's a dude's head on the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm going with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone as well and Black Hawk Down. Uh, 2002. Nominees, uh, Spider-Man... Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, winner, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Bake Off consisted of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Minority Report, and Men in Black 2. Oh, Minority, Minority Report. Report. Yeah. Minority Report, easily. Yeah. Should have got in over that. Attack of the Clones. Oh, oh, and hold on a second. I, 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 this was like a misreading on my part. I forgot to mention. I just saw three X's and thought, oh, well, that's an error on our part. No, that was an actual movie. Triple X with Vin Diesel. Oh, <laughs> Triple X, Jesus. Oh, God, I love, I love the stunts in Triple X, though. The stunts like, are really, really awesome. I they're agree. They're really cool. Uh, but I'm going with Minority Report and Chamber of Secrets for this. Yeah. I agree. I like the snake in Chamber of Secrets. Same here. Yeah, it looks, it looks pretty yeah. decent. 2003, uh, we have Lord of the Rings of Return of the King, which won Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pole. The bake, uh, the bake Off was Hulk, Peter Pan, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and X2, X-Men United. The two X- superheroes. X- yeah. yeah. X2 was good. I mean, even for the time, Hulk looked pretty good, in my Hulk opinion. Looks, Hulk looks great. It does. Regardless of whatever you think of the movie, it looks fantastic. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and X-Men 2 is is one of the best superhero X2 movies ever great. made. Yeah. 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 This movie also is not on this list, but I actually do really like the visual effects in um, Big Fish. I think they yeah. should have been in contention. Yeah. I don't even like that movie, but I think the visual effects are really good. Oh, I really like Big Fish. Uh, 2004, Oscar winner, Spider-Man 2, along with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and iRobot. Bake Off consisted of The Aviator, The Day After Tomorrow, Lemmy Snake, It's a Series of Unfortunate Events, and Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. I love Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. I would go with Sky Captain and Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, those are the ones that I would go with as well. I agree. Aviator and Day After Tomorrow. I... I'm going with today after tomorrow and Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow, shockingly, because I love the aviator, but I I think Sky Captain also is pretty freaking great. <laughs> I mean, like, again, like the whole thing was digitally created and it still looks pretty good. I remember it was definitely something they t- they talked about. Um, oh, yeah. When the movie mm-hmm. came out and it was considered groundbreaking for the time. Uh, 2005. Oscar winner is King Kong, along with War of the Worlds and the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Bake Off consisted of Batman Begins, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Star Wars and Harry you Potter. Star Wars in there, yeah. I think uh, Batman and Star Wars. It's really weird that this is the one Star Wars movie that didn't get into this category. Yeah, yeah. I'm still shocked by that. Yeah. Although I do like the effects in Goblet of Fire, too. Yeah, looks pretty good. I'm going with Goblet of Fire and Star Wars. I like Batman Begins, uh, but I appreciate the visual effects work in Goblet of Fire for just how much larger it, they were in that one in particular. Yeah, yeah, but then you do run into the issue of like kind of feeling the same as the other ones. And I, I, 
I don't know. I would say that that's still great work, but I do think I would lean slightly towards Batman Begins. Mm. And then 2006, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Dead Man's Chest, Poseidon, Superman Returns, Bake Off, Casino Royale, Aragon, Night at the Museum, and X-Men The Last Stand. Jesus. Aragon. <laughs> I, Night at the Museum is so much fun. It, it is. is fun. All right, so Casino Royale... And Night at the Museum? I guess. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Night at the Museum was a huge hit. I'm sort of surprised, you know, it didn't break through. If This is a very weak I year, honestly. Three, but. I'll be in the defense of X3 that they did do well with Phoenix and making her look scary. That's true, they did. They yeah. did go well with her. That, that was a very expensive movie for the time. Mm-hmm. They also had de-aging in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> Remember Poseidon? Remember that was a thing and it got the nomination? Yep. I mean, the effects of Poseidon are actually really great, though. They are, yeah. And not enough Shelley Winters. Well, obviously. 2007. Oscar winner, The Golden Compass, alongside Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and Transformers. The Bake Off uh, was much larger, so I'm going to read these a little bit slowly. 300. Beowulf. The Bourne Ultimatum, Evan Almighty, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, I Am Legend, Live Free or Die Hard, National Treasure Book of Secrets, Ratatouille, Spider-Man 3, Sunshine, and Water Horse, Legend of the Deep. (laughs) Ooh, Sunshine was on that list? I'm going with Sunshine and 300. Enchanted wasn't on that list. Interesting, yeah. I just love that, like, the the Pixar movies always yeah. show up in this yeah. category somehow. Like, they really didn't know what to do with computer animation, did they? <laughs> nope. Spider-Man 3, which actually does have some really neat sequences in it, even yeah. though it's a wacky movie. Uh, probably 300. Here's the uh, crazy thing. So that was, like, the first round, and then there was, like, elimination. So they narrowed it down to 300, The Bourne Ultimatum, Evan Almighty, and I Am Legend. I think in that case, I go with 300 and The Bourne Ultimatum. I would go with 300 and I Am Legend. I would go with that, too. Uh, weird Born Ultimatum didn't get in. They, exactly. They loved it. Born Ultimatum pulled a Matrix that year. All right. And then uh, for 2008, uh, just for the sake of time, I won't say the first round. I'll just skip right over to the second round after the cuts. Uh, it was uh, Oscar winner, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, alongside The Dark Knight and Iron Man. Uh, the bake-off in the second round were Australia, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Journey to the Center of the Earth and the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. So Hellboy 2, definitely. Yes. Yeah, uh, and I would say Australia. I think I would too. That that one, the wildebeest chases, not wildebeests, but you know what I mean, yeah. is really good. I'm sure it was in the first round, but Wally really should have been in here. The movie is like that is a movie yeah. that it actually wasn't visual effects. Oh my god! You know, you know what really should have been there, and this is a another wacky movie, Speed Racer. Yeah. Ooh, oh yeah. yeah. Speed yeah. Racer looks really great. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like having pixie sticks shoved in your eyes, but it looks pretty great. <laughs> and then the final year yeah. here, Oscar winner Avatar, alongside District Nine and Star Trek. And the bake-off consisted of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Terminator Salvation, and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. So I'm obviously going with Half-Blood Prince, and I'm picking Terminator Salvation because I absolutely hate Transformers Revenge of the Fallen so much. It's one of my least favorite movies of all time, and I will never pick it for anything. Wait, Transformers wasn't nominated for visual effects? Nope. No, it got a sound, but that's it. Oh, it should have been nominated for visual effects. It's a... 
disgusting movie, but you know, the visual effects are quite They good. made CGI yeah, balls on a Transformer, Michael. I am not picking that for visual film, effects. No doubt about it. It is horrifying. Horrifying, horrifying. But if I'm, you know, working on the computer to create that disgusting movie, I at least want some credit. Yeah, Terminator Three also isn't or four isn't the best either. I would have picked mm. Where the Wild Things Are over it in a heartbeat. Yes, yes. absolutely. I love agree. that movie so much. Um, how do we feel about the visual effects in the Lovely Bones? No, uh, distracting. It's, it's time. It's 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 a that's the story. You know, like it's hard. All right, everyone, that'll do it here for episode two ten of the Next Best Picture podcast. Michael, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Lauren? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Cody? I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Dan Bear? You can find me tweeting all things Toronto at Dance and Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 210 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including our start of our 2016 retrospective. Uh, It's going to be very brief. We had already covered a lot of the major movies from that year, but we're going to be doing uh, some more of the, uh, I don't want to say smaller titles, but just some movies that we never covered on the podcast through the month of September and October. So very much looking forward to that. To get those podcast reviews, subscribe over at Patreon. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Oh,